Hello, this is JJ Hawley. I'm the president and CEO of the Woodlands Area Chamber of Commerce, and welcome to another another production of Between the Trees. It's a, a collaborative production with Woodlands Online. They do a lot of work for us and. Uh, uh, making this possible, so we appreciate that partnership. And today it is my distinct pleasure to have Randy Johnson and James Campbell with us. Uh, there's a lot of health issues obviously going on in, in the county, and so uh, it's good to have you guys here so we can talk about that. Well, JJ, it's indeed an honor to be here to talk with you. Uh, we appreciate the opportunity. Uh, thank you, thank you. And I appreciate you guys wearing your mask too. I left mine in the car. Uh, well, we, we knew we were kind of crowded in here, so we yes. thought we'd better wear a mask. Yeah, we normally keep uh, a good distance with just a couple of guests, but it gets a little crowded with three. But uh, if you can, can you just introduce yourself, what your role is uh, at, at, the, uh, at the hospital district? Absolutely. Uh, Randy Johnson here, and uh, I'm the CEO of the hospital district. And our hospital district is pretty unique because the hospital that we managed was sold in 1992. Uh, so the hospital district uh, serves some unique functions in Montgomery County. <clears throat> we do three things primarily. Number one, we provide uh, uh, payment, care, and coordination for the indigent, indigent residents of Montgomery County through the hospital uh, district indigent care fund. Number two, we also provide the emergency medical services for the entire county. Uh, so we coordinate um, pre-hospital care for the county, and I'm very proud of the job that we've done with our EMS system. We're one of the most highly ranked EMS systems in the United States, wow. and uh, that's why I wanted James here today. He's done an excellent mm -hmm. job of shepherding our, our EMS system. Um, the final thing that we do that's important is we're also responsible uh, for managing the public health district, and usually the public health mm -hmm. district does vaccines, tracks and trends, uh, diseases that blow through the county. Mm -hmm. uh, people like to tell me there are no diseases that start in Montgomery County. They just blow in from either Dallas or Houston. So we track them and trend them to see where they came from and how we get rid of them. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, the, the public health district is very important because we're responsible for tracking and trending what's going on with the COVID-19 disease. And so we work very closely uh, with James and his group because they are taking care of the COVID patients in the field, bringing them to the hospitals, and they're tracking and trending what's going on in the hospitals. The big issue okay. for us is that we want to make sure that we've got enough capacity in the, in the county, mm -hmm. in the hospitals, that we can take care of our patients. Uh, and so, well, before we get into that, I'd also like James to introduce himself yes. and sure. talk a bit about what you do. Sure. Good morning. Thank you for having us this morning. My name is James Campbell. I'm the chief of EMS for Montgomery County Hospital District. Um, we're the sole 911 provider for EMS services in the county, as Mr. Johnson mentioned. Um, with that, every day we put about 30 ambulances on the road every day, 250 total paramedics. And in addition to that, we train and are responsible for the fire departments, 12 fire departments and then the fire marshal's office for the county. We provide their medical equipment, their medical training, mm -hmm. um, and that's all coordinated through our medical director's office, which is Dr. Rob Dixon and Dr. Casey Patrick. Correct. So my primary function is to oversee uh, that division of MCHD and mm -hmm. uh, monitor both quality and processes to continue to make sure we provide quality EMS for the county. Great. Well, thank you again both for, for being here. This is uh, obviously a, a critical time for not only our county, our region, uh, the entire world with coronavirus. Uh, can you update us on what what is what are the what's the latest news that we're hearing on coronavirus? Well, uh, 
yes, the latest news is that we're having uh, an uptick, a surge in Montgomery County in the greater Houston area, as I'm sure everyone is aware. Uh, what does that mean in particular? It means that, uh, as you can tell, we're wearing masks. We want to make sure that uh, we are responsible for our economy, for schools opening, and for keeping the hospitals empty enough that when people are ill, they can go to the hospital. So uh, we want to make sure that we social distance, which we're being a little crowded today. Mm -hmm. And if you're in a enclosed space close to people, please wear your mask to protect others. Uh, wash your hands frequently. Um, if you don't need to go outside, if you can stay in, stay in. Uh, take care of uh, yourself so that you can uh, go to work and stay at work. You go mm -hmm. to school and stay at school. Uh, that's very important. So what we saw, we've, we had pretty much a flat curve. We were seeing about uh, between 30 and 50 cases of new um, COVID-19 per day up until the last few weeks. Then the case rates started increasing. Do we know why the cases started increasing so much? Uh, we think that the reason for the increase, we opened the county uh, mm -hmm. and more people, you know, people were just tired of being at home, being bored and being frustrated. So I think that was that went on for what, about a three, four weeks or so? Yes, I it think? did. And so after starting the, in March. Yeah. So, so after Memorial Day, uh, Memorial Day was the day I think that everybody really uh, socialized quite a bit. Uh, mm -hmm. There also were some uh, uh, activities going on in Houston where there was a, a lot of people in a very small space. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what started uh, the growth in the coronavirus in this area. It takes about 10 to 14 days from the time you contact until you really start showing signs and symptoms. Mm -hmm. And so we start seeing an uptick about a week after uh, the Memorial Day holiday. Uh, then it started to level off somewhat. And then we had the 4th of July holiday, so we're now starting to see an uptick because of that. Uh, and so our concern is we want to make sure that we are safe so that we don't overwhelm our hospitals. Uh, we've gone from seeing about uh, 30 to 50 patients a day that test positive in the county till now we're seeing uh, about 300 patients a day that are testing positive. Mm -hmm. It was 100 last week and it's really started to tick up. Wow. So we're hoping that, uh, you know, if we can uh, take care of ourselves, we can get the curve back down. The and if someone does want to get tested, how, what, are, what are your options? And, and can you, is there a place they can go to figure out, okay, what am I going to wait in line for five hours to get tested versus maybe walk in or drive in and, and have it done quickly? Or? One thing that's been very consistent about this whole thing with coronavirus, it's brand new. Uh, what we know changes constantly mm -hmm. and the testing changes considerably as well. Uh, currently, uh, we have a call line, uh, a call number that you can call. You can call the Montgomery County Hospital District or the Montgomery County Public Health District, and they will put you to a call center. And uh, we answer calls all day long about who is testing that day and what their capabilities are. We try to keep that as, update, as updated and current as possible. Mm -hmm. We do have a capability that if you want to be tested, um, uh, we provide... Uh, Information on the testing, we also will provide you a, a $50 um, chit, if, as you, if you will, uh, that you can go to the testing center and uh, you, can, you can be tested for free. And everybody okay. should be able to be tested for free. And, and has all that information on your website, the phone number and everything? It is. Both what, what is the website? Uh, the website is mchd.tx.org. Uh, okay. Okay. Great. So I'll repeat that again. mchd dash tx dot org. 
Okay, that's good information to know because I, I know with with uh, I I've heard questions about where I go tested. You know, I waited. I went to this place to get tested. It was a five-hour wait, et cetera. So to have a one-stop shop where you can have a clearinghouse to understand who's doing testing and capabilities and how long the wait is is great information. Yes. Okay. Now, what about the uh, the accuracy of, of the testing? I hear that there's a the nasal swab test, there's a saliva test. Uh, is there any difference? There is a difference, and I'm just for a change of pace. James, would you like to sure. take a stab yeah. at this? Sure. There has been a lot um, kind of publicized about what which tests are accurate, which tests are not accurate. Mm -hmm. um, and the difference in, let's just, we'll talk about the oral swab versus the nasal swab. The nasal swab is the predominant test that's used in this area. Uh, it's a swab that goes into the back of the nasal passages and it swabs. Which sounds really comfortable. It's, it's not very comfortable. <laughs> um, it swabs for the RNA on the virus. Yeah. And then depending on the medium, which is the tube that the virus goes in, the virus is tested in a lab to see whether it's positive or negative. Okay. Um, one of those, for example, is an Abbott rapid test, and it looks for RNA in the virus, and that's a rapid result within 20 minutes. The oral mm -hmm. test is also as just as accurate, um, and it just depends on what tests are available. With so many people getting tested, test supplies have become limited, um, but that test is also accurate. There's mm -hmm. been a lot um, in the news about, is the blood test accurate? Which blood test is accurate? Which blood test should I use? Should I, if I thought I was sick in January, should I get the blood test? Mm -hmm. And, there and have, that's for the antibodies, right? Correct. And that's to see whether you have had the virus mm -hmm. previously. Um, it does not, it's probably not the best test to see if you have the virus right now. Mm -hmm. I think the FDA has done well trying to um, make some of the rapid tests um, FDA approved in, mm -hmm. in a short amount of time. But the majority of the tests that you're going to see are going to be nasal and oral because it's easier to make those supplies and keep up with demand. Okay. Sure. I'll make one comment in that regard. The state of Texas, uh, the state health department district, uh, does not recognize the blood test. So if you get a blood test, you won't be counted as a positive COVID case tracking for the state. They only count the PCR test, or the, the one where you stick the swab up your nose, up to your eyeball, and scratch your eyes. <laughs> and a little bit about that test. Um, you have to do that test properly. If you, don't, if you just put it in your nose area, uh, that's not going to be sufficient to get the mm -hmm. virus on the end of the swab. What you're doing is you're really swabbing for the virus. So it has to go all the way back to the back of your larynx mm -hmm. and... Uh, the test is only as accurate as the tester getting um, the COVID-19 virus in the back of your larynx. Mm -hmm. If they don't get it, you could be positive and still test negative. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a good test, but the testing process is very important. Thank you for pointing that out, because I think that's the, uh, the concern is how accurate is the test, or maybe the test wasn't administered properly, and so we're getting some false negatives, and then you have a thought that, well, I'm negative, so I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Yes, that is true. Uh, some of the false negatives have been as high as 33% on both mm -hmm. the blood tests and on the oral swabbing test because of the swabbing technique. One note, if you test positive you are positive. Uh, what is false can be false negatives. Mm, okay. And uh, regarding the antibody and the, the blood test, antibody test, 
Uh, if you were sick in January, February, is there is there any truth to that? Sometimes the antibodies can just that they can fade away. So you may have had it then, but the that research is ongoing now. The most current literature that we've kept up with is that is true that it does fade away. So the question is, if I was diagnosed positive COVID nineteen in February, does that mean I'm immune and I won't get it again? The most current research is that your antibody level can decrease and you may be susceptible to getting the virus again. Okay. Which is, just compounds the, uh, the, the complexity of the coronavirus world. But just, just because you get it once doesn't mean that you're immune to it for a year. Correct. And I would add there's a lot of talk about uh, is this the flu? Is it like the flu? What's the comparison? What's mm -hmm. the difference? We get a flu shot every year to boost our immunity to the flu virus. So s similarly, your flu antibody levels can change, making you more susceptible to the virus. Similar okay. to, could you get COVID twice? Okay. So like the common cold, you, get to, you, you can get a cold twice in a season because mm -hmm. the common cold, uh, once you've had the cold, your antibodies drift away after about three months. Um, we don't know how long uh, the life of the antibody protection is for COVID. So the only thing that's been consistent about COVID is we're learning all the time and it's and everything is inconsistent. So uh, that's the only real 100% truth you can take home at this point. And, and that's what's frustrating from a business standpoint is businesses love predictability. Mm -hmm. And so uh, not only is the virus and the, the, what we understand about the virus changing, but the number of uh, positive tests, hospitalizations, deaths, that keeps going up. So it makes it difficult to figure out what your next uh, quarter is going to look like. Yes, it is, it is a time of great uncertainty. And I think the main thing that we need to look at, because uh, there's so much variability in people who get the you know, get the illness. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're older and you've got lots of uh, uh, possible uh, uh, problems that with your health, like uh, you know, if you have uh, coronary problems, uh, lung problems, mm -hmm. uh, cancer, mm -hmm. uh, then you, if you're overweight, if you smoke, uh, you're you're much more likely to have a much more difficult time with COVID-19 than younger people. But this is a very tricky disease because uh, we're seeing younger people, people in their, uh, below the, the age of 30, who are having very, very difficult times and are having to be hospitalized. So mm -hmm. uh, this disease really does affect the inside of your blood vessels. And there's lots of research that shows that it's, uh, you know, it creates some clotting factors that can create problems for you after mm -hmm. you've had the disease, whether you're younger or older. So wow. we really don't know the full extent of what the problems with COVID are gonna be in a lasting sense. So uh, what are the latest COVID numbers of infections, recovered, hospitalizations? Because those things change uh, daily as well. And how does that compare to you know, our recent history? Okay, uh, currently uh, we have uh, 1,314 as of this morning, uh, active cases in the county that have been tested on the mm -hmm. PCR or the swab test, positive, uh, that uh, are still sick. We have a group of people who do tracking and trending of all the positive COVID cases to see, you know, are they sick? Have they recovered? Are they in the hospital? Are they recovering at home? Um, and that's that, the contract tracing that we hear about. That's the contact tracing. Okay. 
Uh, one of the problems that we have with the contact tracing is our volume of patients tested positive has really increased and we haven't been able to keep up with the testing load. Mm -hmm. Originally, uh, the public health department or district is very small, so we had two epidemiologists. We increased our contact tracers to 12 people, uh, but with the rate starting to grow, uh, we're, we're, we're behind on contact tracing. For example, uh, we haven't been doing work on the weekends, and uh, mm -hmm. if we're getting uh, you know, two to 300 new cases per day, uh, after one weekend, we're a thousand cases behind. Yeah. And that's where we find ourselves now. So we're contact tracing as fast as we can. We're working with the judge and the Department of Emergency uh, uh, Management mm -hmm. at the county uh, to get more people so that we can do more contact tracing. Um, but I don't know if we keep increasing our volume of patients, how long we can actually continue to do contract, contact cr tracing uh, to the extent that we've been doing it. We may have to start uh, reporting less information and more gross numbers. Okay. And, and what have, uh, what's the latest on the, the, the death rate in Montgomery County? Yeah, that's something we track every day. So when the numbers come out at 3 o'clock, uh, we, we plug all of our numbers into what we continue to track through this whole process. For us, we've been working diligently since March 12th, so a little over 125 days now, I believe. Um, and our death rate in the county, looking at total cases, has been pretty consistent at about 1.25%. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So, uh, go ahead. And as of yesterday, we'd had 44 deaths in the county. So, uh, and, and just to have some perspective, in March when we did shut down, what was our, uh, what was our rate of infections? And I understand that a lot of that depends on the variable of how many are getting tested. But what was what were you seeing as our, our, our rate of positives then, our, our death rate then versus versus now? Because it's a, I mean it's much more severe now. It's it's really hard to predict the that rate. If you call our call center and they say these are the ten places that we know are testing today, it doesn't mean that there aren't ten more. So it's hard to determine with every test result that we receive how many tests as a county as large as ours were actually administered. Mm -hmm. So it would be. It wouldn't be prudent of us to try to predict what the positivity rate would be if we don't have mm -hmm. an accurate number of who's testing at any given moment. Well, I mean, how many were testing positive in March versus how many are testing positive now? In, in March, uh, we really didn't have any testing supplies, as you recall, and that was a real mm -hmm. problem. Uh, we, we had ordered some through the Office of Emergency Management, and we'd ordered directly to the state ourselves. But there were no uh, tests to be had. Uh, we, mm -hmm. we got a handful of tests at that time. Uh, and so we were very, it, so then we started sourcing tests to China and everywhere else, and we ended up mm -hmm. with buying some tests that weren't very accurate. And that was the problem all over the county. So uh, in March, uh, the information was uh, was very nil, and we were we were seeing uh, you know five to fifteen uh, positive cases per day. Mm -hmm. But you know very few people were being tested. You know it hadn't started uh, spinning up like it has now. Yeah. But the uh, the percentage of mortality and morbidity has been pretty consistent with mm -hmm. uh, national numbers the whole time. So this is a disease that, uh, you know, the, the, the kill rate is not, you know, tremendous. Uh, the, the chance of dying depends on how old you are, what other precon uh, preconditioned issues you have. Mm -hmm. uh, but the uh, typical rate is somewhere between one and a half and two and a half percent of the people who get the disease. Which is still significant when you look at a population of 650,000 in Montgomery County. 
so what is the latest in, uh, and this is what we're all concerned about, is we don't want to stress our health system and not only our facilities, but the people who are working so hard for us, including you guys, uh, that are on the front lines of treating patients, dealing with this day in and day out. So what is the situation now that we're seeing in the hospitals? Well, the hospitals in the greater Houston-Galveston uh, surrounding area, the ten, the 10 counties that make up that area, uh, we're, on, we're on red alert. Uh, the hospitals are mm -hmm. full. We've been very fortunate in Montgomery County because um, all of our hospitals are parts of larger systems, and so they've been able to move patients around. So we've had some flexibility in the county. Um, so we've, we've but we want to keep some flexibility in the county, but, mm -hmm. uh, so we're doing a little better than most other counties. However, uh, our hospitals are also now getting a surge where they're full and full is two things. You know, if I have a hospital, uh, and I have 30 ICU beds mm -hmm. and I have the capability of expanding my ICU to 60 beds, I've also got to have the staff that know how to take care of ICU patients. And so what mm -hmm. we're seeing is the hospitals are filling up, but they're also having a very difficult time staffing the caseloads. And so we really need to flatten the curve at this time so mm -hmm. that we can give the hospitals room where we can do a better job of opening up our economy and getting back to work. Mm -hmm. I would add to that that we're very fortunate in Montgomery County. We have five great hospital systems, and we're fortunate enough every week we have a call with our leadership teams and their leadership teams, and we, at, we, go, we go through the update. How's your staffing? How's mm -hmm. our staffing? Um, how can we improve our EMS? And we already had a shortage of, of uh, nurses and, and healthcare workers I mean, coming into this because that was already a, a workforce issue that we was existing. And that, that's one of the things that we are trying to be mindful of as a healthcare system is we're essential, right? We, we have mm -hmm. to put ambulances on the road. The hospitals are open mm -hmm. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So as, if they're um, losing staff from illness or uh, more patients are coming in, there's only so much space left. So we don't want mm -hmm. to have to ask for resources to come help us if we don't if, if we can manage it but we need everybody's help to manage that there's resources that if we're asking for them houston's asking for them uh florida's asking for them so the whole country is it could be not the whole country the states that are mm -hmm. experiencing increases are all going to be asking for resources so we want to be mindful in montgomery county of what we can do to help each other now that's one of the thing, turnaround time. So when an ambulance gets to the hospital in the emergency department, we track how long it's there. Ideally, it's 30 minutes or less. Um, if the hospitals are full uh, or close to full or having staffing problems where there's no bed space available, then, then ambulances start lining up. If ambulances start lining up, when you call 911, you wait longer for an ambulance. So it really is a system-wide process that we have to be mindful of together. That, that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up because there's an expectation just in healthcare that if I get sick or hurt or injured or have a car wreck or something happens that I can just call an ambulance, it's there within a few minutes, and then I can go to the emergency room and a doctor is going to rush right out and see me or I'm going to be rushed in and there'll be staff and nurses and doctors available. And that That's the real tenuous situation that we're in is that you can have a real emergency and and, and that person that you assume is going to be there is just is is uh, is already full, already busy. I would add to that that what has been great about this so far with the hospital systems and our communication is the time-sensitive emergencies such as stroke, heart attack, uh, trauma, 
Um, the hospitals are able to get those time-sensitive emergencies. They save space for that because it's going to happen in the county. It happens every day. Um, but it's the general sickness, the maybe knee pain. Those may wait a little longer because the time-sensitive emergencies have to or get COVID. in or, or COVID. Yeah, yeah and that's good yeah. to know because uh, some people are afraid they're possibly now or Correct. calling 911 because they think, well, you know, my left arm hurts. Maybe it's just because I was working as hard in the yard yesterday that it really is a heart attack. So without them calling 911, are we seeing an increase in death rates from people not, not getting treatment as fast as they That is, that is accurate. So we did, uh, in, it's been about a month, a, a public service announcement. And it's, I mean, when we talk about our five hospital systems, um, they're fantastic. They are competitive, but when it comes to healthcare in the county, we're all collaborative and we want to do the right thing. So we did see that trend of an increase in out-of-hospital deaths. Um, and you can't say that every one of those out-of-hospital deaths is a COVID death, but if someone is scared to go to the hospital because they can't have a visitor, scared to go because they're afraid that they may contract COVID at the hospital, those deaths um, have increased as a result of, of that fear. And we wanted to share that message, the hospitals and, and MCHD, that don't wait at home if you have chest pain, if you have shortness of breath, if you have stroke symptoms, facial yeah. droops, slurred mm -hmm. speech, um, please call 911 and at least let us come and do an assessment and try to give you the best advice and guidance that we can mm -hmm. in your home. Well, thank you for that. Uh, where, where do we go from here? I mean, everybody wants to know. Uh, you know, I, I think we're we're looking at some possible announcements from our elected officials uh, that are that are incoming. But uh, you know, what what are what are our next steps? I mean, what is the is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Like I heard there might be some vaccine availability that might happen sooner, like like by the end of the year rather than two years. Or um, I have heard all kinds of answers. The answer to your question is. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. We just don't know how long the tunnel is. Yeah. That's the problem. Uh, there may be a vaccine that may be available at the end of the year, but the likelihood of that is extremely small. Because mm -hmm. the process, even though it's been sped up and lots of money and lots of people mm -hmm. are working on it, uh, still has to be one that assures safety and being able to get the vaccine out to the masses. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a medical director in one of our systems the other day who was talking about COVID and the whole process, and he said, in all likelihood, the vaccine is like birthing an elephant. Mm. The gestation time is usually 18 to 24 months. Mm -hmm. So that's probably the outside. Mm -hmm. uh, we probably won't go that long, but, uh, you know, there's a possibility we could be here until this time next year mm -hmm. still working with COVID. So what we really have to do is we just have to learn how do we work with it? Uh, how do we keep it at a level that we can uh, manage the disease and have an open, as much as possible, an open economy. Mm -hmm. And we're responsible for that. You know, if we can mm -hmm. social distance, if we can wear a mask when we're in a close quarters mm -hmm. and wash our hands frequently, uh, that's how we can make sure that we're an employee who stays well to go to work. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's how we make sure that uh, we can keep the economy going to the extent that we can do that at this point in time. Mm -hmm. But there is no, uh, we just got to keep the curve down so that we can stay functional. Yeah. And I would like to add to that some of the things that we're working on now. For one, I would say that our PPE supply at MCHD is adequate. Our crews are working hard okay. around the clock, and we're working hard to protect them. I can't uh, 
it's hard to put into words how proud we are of our crews working 100 plus degrees in PPE almost every call and they're still providing the same high level of emergency service uh, care that, that, that we've been known for. Um, with that, we're working with the hospitals on ways to help with volume. So many of the hospitals in the county have freestanding or satellite emergency departments who are starting to accept patients by ambulance or have been throughout this process. So if, if you, we may be able to take you to an alternative destination, mm -hmm. one of the small outlying uh, emergency departments that keeps you in your community, mm -hmm. you'll likely be seen quicker by a physician and that helps those turnaround times. Mm -hmm. We're also working with the hospitals on potentially having patients who are dis discharged from the hospital who just need oxygen at home. We have an amazing community paramedic program who does well with care in the home. They're paramedics. They, can, they consult with our physicians back at our administration building. So that can also help with volume. So we're continuously working on ways to um, shape volume and curve volume in the system to make sure mm -hmm. that there is room and adequate supplies and care for, for everybody in the county. Well, thank you both for what you're doing in our community. I mean, we, we would uh, not be the community that we are without the health district. So thank you both very much. Is there anything that, uh, that you want to add in closing or? I would add just a few things. Please use our website as a resource. It, it talks about when you should get tested. It has the number to contact if you're interested in testing. Um, questions that we hear a lot. Uh, when can I go back to work? Do I have to have a negative test? A lot of those common questions are addressed on our website. It's a, it's a really great resource that we update regularly to try to be as timely as possible with our communication. Okay. I'll just say that uh, I'm so impressed. I, I began working here about nine years ago. I've been working in the Houston uh, region all my life as a hospital administrator. I've been so impressed with uh, Montgomery County just in general, uh, the Woodlands areas, area specifically. Um, I, the growth and the capability of the healthcare system here in this county is second only to the medical center and that's only by a small amount. We can do amazing things and take care of trauma patients, all kind of very, very difficult diseases here. This is a phenomenal medical uh, um, Mecca that we have in Montgomery County. Uh, and it's offset by uh, the work ethic of the people who live in Montgomery County. It's mm -hmm. easy to see why the county is growing at the rate it's growing. Uh, there's a tremendous uh, can-do capability. And JJ, I want to tell you how much I appreciate you uh, mm. and the Chambers of Commerce for helping to coordinate, shape, and drive uh, that workforce. Well, thank so you. We want to stay wise. We want to be careful and cautious with COVID. Uh, but we want to overcome this thing as quickly as possible. And thank you for today. Well, thank you all for, uh, for both of you for being here today. And uh, we appreciate uh, everything that you do, everything that our nurses, our administrators, our doctors, our hospitals are doing, because it's, it's a crisis. It's a crisis. And uh, we can just do a lot of things to help you out. So uh, thank you all for, you. for what you do. And uh, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Between the Trees. We'd like to thank our production partners, Woodlands Online. Thank you very much for helping us with the program, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.